what's happening in the canine industry. For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, you know what we haven't done for a long time? Dance together. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we can arrange that. But the other thing we haven't done for a long time is new ads. Yeah, okay, let's do that. Yeah, let's do that. All right. We've got to start with the OG. We always start with the OG. Yeah. But he's good to start with. The odds are wiener. Yep. The wiener himself. Yep. The original sponsor of the show, Mm. the man who wanted to sponsor us from episode one and we told him to fuck off and then later we're like, hey, we'll take some of that money now, please. (laughs) Grumpiest but most lovable prick you could ever meet in your life. Yeah, it's the Einzer wiener. Yep. Jason Furman, Mm. Einswick Dog Quip. If you're in Australia, that's where you're getting your stuff. Yeah. Crazy if you don't get... Pretty much. If you want dog stuff, get it from there. Have you seen that he hand makes a lot of his stuff as well? I've seen that. He tags me in his Instagram. I know. I see it. Me too. I see it. He's using his sewing machine. Yep. Playing his songs. He's really embracing social media these days. Yep. He used to have nothing at all. Yeah. A shit website. Yeah. But now, now he's, he's got a working re- website and social media. I like watching him use his sewing machine. Next thing I know, he'll be making linen on a loom. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> hey, you know who else sponsors the show? Who? Your wife. She does. Yeah. Canine Suticles. Yep. The best dog Suticles, <laughs> the best canine suticles. Premium grade, yep. human quality. Yeah. It's going gangbusters at the moment. Thank you to the community who have been supporting yeah, it. Yeah, it's great shit. There's been hot demand for her to get this all over the world. Like mm-hmm. people are asking her from every country. She's looking into it at the moment. Okay. So that's going to happen. All right. I caught up with George Kittridge and saw the actual Rowdy Hound box. I know. Yeah. So I had a good talk with George actually about his process in getting this thing to market. Yep. It's a motherfucker. So you should, if you want one, you should get one because George has put a lot of work into turning this dream into a reality. He did so much R&D, didn't he? Oh, huge. And yep. the, the product is amazing. Yep. So and he's got one. training videos, everything showing he trains and supports people how to get the dog into it, yep. how to make it safe, yep. how to make the dog have a good experience from so it. So if you ride a motorbike and you have a dog, you need the Rowdy Hound dog box on the back of that motorbike. Absolutely. Next, Fabian Romo. Yes. He's got a shop, Mojo. And you've seen it. I've been in there. You've I stole a tug. Yeah. I stole a tug. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd said as I was leaving, I'm taking this, yep. so I guess it doesn't count. But yeah. Mojo Dog Did you pay for it? I mean- With your time. Yeah. So it's not really a theft. Yeah. Okay. Everything's fine. If you need dog gear in North America, that's where to get it. Mojo. Yeah. Yeah. They've got everything. What he has, to be honest, is the best dog trainer's shop. Yep. It's without a doubt the best shop that I've walked into where you can buy actual dog trainer gear. Yep. Yeah. High quality e-collars, mills, leashes, you know, all the things. Like proper tugs, like all the actual things that real dog trainers use. Mm. Mojo, get it there. We have a new sponsor also. We do. Yeah. Daniel Trapino. Trapino. Yeah, that yeah. sounds about Daniel right. Daniel Trapino. It's Dog Club, South yeah. Australia. Yeah. What does he do there? It's kind of like a little hangout hood that he's created there. A little cultural hub. A cultural hub in South Australia. So I think that's what Daniel was trying to go for, was to try and embrace and build the culture in South Australia. Because I will be honest, it's been sadly lacking for many, many years. Mm. Like not much really canine came out of South Australia. So I think it doesn't mean there aren't good dog trainers down there. There's some very good dog trainers and personalities down in South Australia, but they've never really elevated it. And I think that's what Daniel wants to do. He really wants to push it out into the public forefront. Get in there, South Australians. Get into the dog dog club. Dog club, S.A., we must never forget Dan Croft. Dan Croft in Canada. What a good yeah. bloke he is. I love speaking to Dan as well. Yeah. Great facility. Great facility. Really emphasizing his puppy training programs. Mm-hmm. I just put an ad up today on Instagram showing a little Dobeman doing his little course running around. But that's what he really wants to emphasize on the critical period of development in young dogs and puppies. But it's not only that. I mean, it's all working breeds. As I've said before, as you've said before, very impressive to watch all of these dogs on BOSU balls balancing and all of the breeds that other people usually are shying away from. He's got like a whole room full of them there. Great shop, great setup, great social media. I really like the Dan Croft setup. Our last person. Who? Barbara DeGroote. Oh, lovely Barbara. Yeah, the sugar mama. From the heart dog training. Yeah. 
She didn't really want to emphasize. She just said, here, have some cash. Yeah. So we just want to say thank you, Barbara. We do want to say thank you, Barbara. Thank you for supporting us. You're we wonderful. You. We do love you. On with the show. Indeed. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in the studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. We are in the studio and I have no idea what we're going to talk about today. This well, is- we, we literally just ran in here because we we're did. short on time and <laughs> sat down because we're actually doing it. We're actually getting to do a podcast we are in here person. And we're not dodging shitty internet or anything. It's amazing. It's fucking hard work. Isn't it? Podcast online. Yeah. I don't know how people do that like for all of their podcasting. Yeah, but they put up with shitty internet and they yeah. put up with shitty quality and that's something that you and I... I think like if you're doing an interview with someone, you can kind of handle it. But when me and you are just kind of shooting the shit, it's fucking annoying. It is. Like, cause you know, and we can't actually do like a proper back and forth. Cause it's Mm. like you two, you speak, I speak, which is fine in an interview, but not in a like conversation, you know? Not when we want to get our little bit of a family guy rant going. Yeah. And we need to be able to talk over over each each other. (laughs) (laughs) That's what, that's what a podcast is. is two white guys talking over each other. That's it. Shaking our privilege at each other. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Because I thought we'd put it to the audience, we had a bunch of things come up in here. So I'm going to read some of them. I put up a photo of me getting my face bitten by these two crazy dogs. I saw it. I saw it. Oh, they're gone. Thank God. Oh, they have? Yeah. Successfully. We delivered them during the week. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. It's good to take something off the plate. Yeah. And And I'm excited to see. Especially for sweats. Yeah, yeah. Jazz. Jazz, yeah. And so by the time people listen to this, she's probably in America twisting people's necks off at the Jiu-Jitsu World Championships. Yeah. Anyway, I won't say any more. That's hers to talk about. Sure. So the first comment from Euclid Geometry. That can't be a real name. Euclid, Euclid Geometry? Geometry. Geometry. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Cool name if that's your real yeah, name. Yeah, that's a really out there name. And says raising and training bull breeds mm-hmm. as a topic. Then there's various people saying they're down for that, including Jay Jack. Yep. I could talk about that briefly. I personally have never raised a bull breed. <laughs> I've, never, I've never owned one personally. Well, I own... French bull breeds. Do they count? Do they count as dogs? Well, they do to people who have them. <laughs> They're a very popular breed. They do have all the stubborn traits and the insecurities and the health issues and mm. everything that comes with all of that package. However, I think the person asking the question is more referring to the Staffies, the Pit mm. Bulls, the Bull Terrier breeds and so forth. Mm. So I think that's where they're angling. We get inundated with them for training mm. and most people – in the industry get inundated with them for training. Anybody in welfare systems or rescue fraternities get inundated with them. I reckon when I was like, you know, mostly doing pet dogs when I first left the army, I reckon more than half of the dogs that I Easy. It's like 75 to 80% yeah, of probably. your dog. That's probably is, fair, yeah. It's got either a pure bull breed or a bull breed cross. Yeah. You know, I remember years ago speaking to Dr. Robert Holmes, who is mm-hmm. a veterinary behaviourist, and he used to lecture always on the NDTF in Melbourne. And Robert was a great resource. He was a very balanced-minded person, significantly balanced-minded person, and a very good conversationalist and a very good person to speak to when you really wanted to sort of delve into the veterinary behaviourist side of things mm-hmm. without being looked down upon or anything like that. He was sure. a, He was very inclusive with a lot of things. And Robert shared with us some information at the time that was being discussed at behavioural symposiums that many of the bull breeds, including the Staffordshire Bull Terrier, were some of the most anxious breeds in the world and the attributing problems that come with that as well. However, I do believe that further studies have been done since then and other breeds have been added to that list. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, like, I would say... Of the, I don't want to make up numbers. I have no idea, but a lot, I've done a lot of training Mm. with English staffies. Yep. Staffordshire Bull Terriers, like a lot, because they're super popular. And when they work, they're great little dogs. When they're stable, but that is the big issue is separation anxiety with all of them. Like you, I'm not shit-mouthing the breed because there's so many of them that I've loved and fell in love with and enjoyed because they are sweethearts. And they're tenacious. I mean, they're terriers, right? So they're very tenacious little dogs. They've usually got really good nerves in the work, you know? Like Mm. once they're in drive, they're very committed. They're they're terriers like that. Yeah. Usually have really nice drives. They like to eat. They like to play. They're pretty hardy little dogs. And they're lovable too. They're yeah. very, very lovable. And they're characters. Yes, they are. Yeah. I believe that they're a dog that does enjoy 
doing odd things in order to get a rise out of the handler. Yeah, or the they're, little, they're little jokers. They're scammers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. But separation anxiety for sure. Oh, big time. Huge issues. And that's what, because they get so close to you and they're that type of dog that really needs lap time and space with you and mm. they just seem to suffer immensely. As soon as you depart, that's when they really break down and they just cannot handle it. Yeah. And like you see like an enormous rise in anxiety out of them and it peaks very quickly. Yeah. To add to that, because they're so powerful, that's the issue. They're not just a dog that suffers separation anxiety, but they're also a powerful dog that mm. can actually destroy walls, doors. Yeah. Houses. I've seen those staffy breeds eat through doors. Yeah. There was a staffy in Melbourne that I did training with that he became so anxious, like it was a solid panel door. It wasn't a hollow panel door like mm-hmm. most hallway doors or interior doors are. It was a solid panel door. I mean, he'd ripped his paws to pieces, but he got through it. Like mm. he'd ripped he'd ripped it apart. He got his teeth into it. He injured his mouth. He injured his pads. He tore out nails and everything like that. But the anxiety peaked so much in him that he got through a solid panel door. I was alarmed about it when I saw it, but also super impressed. Yeah. You know, like the fact that this dog was able to, in one day, in one sitting, in one business day, yeah. was able to get through this fucking door. Yeah. It's us on the front line that see these sort of things. Obviously, the owners were very overwhelmed because they got home and there was mayhem, absolute mm-hmm. mayhem, blood, the door torn apart, their security door was bent and warped. I mean, he got out. He mm. got out of the house when you would look at any other breed of dog and you think it's almost impossible for them to do it. And well, a staffy managed to do it. And that's that severe separation anxiety yeah, coupled with Power. high drive gameness. Yeah. Like when I want something, which is you, yep. and I know you're on the other side of that door, well, I think you're on the other side of that door. I just know that you left out that door. I'm prepared to injure myself as much as necessary in order to get through that door. And they probably are not even aware of the injuries. They're in drive in the same way that like being a terrier, that they're in a simulated fight, you know? Mm. So they're in drive. They're not going to feel that pain. They're going to continue. And then when they get on the other side of it is when they're going to be like, oh, Jesus, I'm in bad shape here. Here's the remarkable thing, right? To add more to this story, this is the back door of the house. He got through that door, through the security door, out into the backyard he managed to smash through the fence and he sat on the front doorstep and waited for them. Oh, really? Yeah. That, he didn't go anywhere. Yeah, right. He didn't attack anyone. He didn't do anything wrong. I don't know what went through his head. It's like a barrier frustration thing, right? Must have been. Yeah. You know, I think some of the times when we try and think through why the hell dogs do things, like you're not going to rationalize it. Mm. They don't have a good thought process themselves. They're just like, the, what I want is on the other side of that barrier, therefore I have to go through it. And then when they get to the other side, they're like, oh, it's not here. I was wrong. Well, I'll just sit here and wait, right? Like I think that's probably all you need to think. What's your sort of go-to when someone calls you for something like that? What's your plan? Well, it's always individual and it's got to be looked at, like how intense is the dog? And that's probably the most intense one that I've seen. The only way that I solved that was convincing them to build a escape proof run in the backyard, like literally what a dangerous dog would go into because he would not stop. Yeah. Medication wasn't really high on their list. I did say to him that I would probably encourage you to give him any anxiety. I said his anxiety is way off the Richter scale, like way beyond what I would normally treat. It's not really a training issue. It's a mass anxiety issue Mm. that we're dealing with. So they did put him on any anxieties after we discussed it. And I actually sent them to Robert Holmes. It was him and them that spoke about it. After several months of consultation, he attempted to do the behaviour again, even though he was on anti-anxiety medication. Fortunately, they came home midway. They managed to stop that. So that was the second door that he'd actually started to make his way through. So in the end, I just said, look, you can't even make it out of Cyclone. It will have to be something like reinforced Rio or something like that to stop him getting out, like a proper welding job where you have to create it. He has to be convinced that he can't break through it or even get his teeth into it or anything like that because if he can and he has – then in his mind, he's had the ultimate reinforcer. He Mm. got through what was preventing him. So once we did that, it completely stopped. It didn't stop him feeling anxious. It didn't stop him from chattering and making noise or anything like that, but it just stopped the escape attempts. Yeah. But with some of these dogs, it's a pipe dream to think you're going to completely cure them. Oh, totally. It's like people. Some people, their affliction remains with them for the rest of their life. Yeah, you're going to be managing that. It means managing it. Yeah, that's the exact... That's not training, that's management. Yeah. So you can't train your way out of those onset behaviours where, like I said, the problem was when he attempted it, he got reinforced by it because he did it. He was successful. 
And it's like somebody who's escaped a prison. They're always going to think there's another way to get out. Yeah. I think to clarify as well, like, because we just said it's management, but there's a lot of training to be done. Of course. It's just that the day you feel lazy and miss one day, like you are going to suffer a massive setback because you're trying to radically change who a dog is at its core when you have a dog like that. And the window to change that permanently expired in the critical period most likely. And so any sort of change that you have is going to be impermanent and fleeting and it's going to be a constant – like you're going to have to constantly work on this stuff. And when you think that typical kind of training, like we've solved the issue, we can stop doing the daily habits that did solve the issue, the issue will come back. It's going to be maintenance of those daily habits to make sure that the dog feels a certain way, acts a certain way, does all the right things. And even then they're only a bandaid over a gaping wound that is going to persist. Well, effectively what we had to do is go into a lot more management strategies with him. And yeah, you're right. It is ongoing training, but it's training removed from that singular issue. Yeah. Then what we had to do was basically reduce the amount of reliability that that dog had on totally through different forms of trainings, like making him realize that my life is going to modify from here on in. And interestingly enough, speaking about the critical period, they're a, I think they were a third-generation dog home, so they weren't any fools, and they'd trained their previous dog with us before, right. many years before that, and that dog passed away prematurely, and then they got this dog, and they did all the early-onset socialisation with him. Yeah. They actually sourced the dog from a good breeder. The siblings weren't like that. Mm. So they and myself and the breeder were unaware of why the dog became so intensely anxious. Mm. We just couldn't figure it out. I think Robert had a long list of suggestions for him, but he said, yeah, this is one that ticks all the boxes of a highly anxious dog. Yeah. And he said, you're right to bring it to me for medicating the dog. I don't think you would find much relief outside that. And they said, look, euthanasia is off the table. We don't feel it's at that point. And I said, nor do I. I said, there are so many good qualities about this dog that you can enjoy up until you leave the house. Yeah, for sure. So we fix that. Yeah. We fix that by literally building him his own yeah. Escape-proof Skinner box. It's a funny one. Like I think that as dog trainers, I for sure thought that I had dealt with many dogs with separation anxiety until I dealt with a dog with separation anxiety. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, like those type of dogs, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're the apex anxiety yeah. Well, dog. And I think real anxiety because like most of the time you like when people say my dog has separation anxiety, like, you know, everybody's dog can do something that you would say, oh, like it's separation anxiety. But, but a lot it, of times it's learned behavior. Yeah, it, it's learned mm. behavior. It's a frustrated dog. Yep. It's a more often than not, in my experience, in the pet home when people say they've got separation anxiety, in the dog, it's more of a hierarchical issue with the dog. Mm. My experience has shown that when you kind of pander to the dog, like if, and I know people don't like hearing this stuff, but fucking get with reality. Like dogs are pack animals. Mm. And if within the pack, your actions are making the dog think that it is the leader of the pack, which it's not right. But if, I mean, essentially in many cases it is when people pander to the dog and they do everything at the dog's whim and the dog is essentially controlling the situation, The problem with that is that can be really terrible sometimes and people acknowledge that that is what's happening. But then other times like people are creating that on purpose because they're they're spoiling the dog. They just enjoy the company of the dog. They're doing whatever the dog wants because they want all the needs of the dog to be met and not realizing that there are dog needs that need to be met, not just what they think are the needs of the dog. Usually it's like, in my experience, when a dog thinks that and it's controlling everything in the house and it truly is controlling everybody – the one thing it doesn't control is that you have to leave, right? Mm, like mm. you have to go to work. We've seen it. I'm sure I've seen it many of them. And I bet you've seen more than me is like people who have changed their lives entirely to- Pander to the dog. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's pretty common now that people get their groceries and shit delivered. But like, I remember back when I first started doing like in-home stuff, that's 10 years ago or more like where that wasn't a thing, getting your groceries delivered. That wasn't normal. And people were having to find services that did that because they couldn't even leave their house to go shopping. They were so dependent on their being home all the time because of the issues around their dog. You know, they're working from home or not working at all and like completely radically altered their life in a really unhealthy and destructive way. Mm. But so for people who don't take that step, if you're pandering to the dog in many every other way, you do have to leave and that's the one thing the dog can't control. And that's where like what looks like anxiety comes out of that. And it probably is a form of anxiety where the dog is like, hey, I control you in every way, but why can't I control you now, right? And it's a hierarchical issue more than anything. And in every instance, I've been able to fix that with just modifying the way that people live. Yep. Like just do some training, like yes. just control the dog, right? Mm-hmm. Like tell the dog he has to go somewhere and hold him accountable. Yeah, yeah, just normal dog yeah. shit that most yeah. people are doing. And they, they just 
most of the time these people just, you know, it's it's death by a thousand paper cuts. Like they just kind of pandered to the dog in one way, then the next way, then the next way, then the next. Yeah, that's so incremental they don't see it. They just don't see the forest for the trees. Yeah, and so we see heaps of that in training, but it wasn't until I saw, and it was still early days, but when I saw like something that I I was like, oh, this is a different thing. This is separation anxiety. This is a whole different ballpark. And I agree with you. It's lifelong management. It's in many cases does result in medication. It's often a genetic trait, mm. you know, as we were just discussing, because we <laughs> started talking about bull breeds is there are breeds that are predisposed to it. But even then you get anomalies in breeds that you wouldn't expect would normally have it. Mm. But I think to sort of answer the question in, in raising them, like I think on this new course, I've got this whole module that I'm creating on like inward versus outward focus and um, handler dependent versus independent dogs. Mm. And there's a bit of a matrix that sort of goes along with that. One of those is totally genetic and you have no say in it. And the other is how you'll train the dog. Yeah. And so if you have a very handler dependent dog, if you've got a dog that is prone to always needing to be around you and needing to be in your space all the time and, and is uncomfortable in your absence, then the type of training that you're going to do with that dog is going to be very different to a dog that's more aloof. Yep. You know, a dog that's more aloof, you're trying to bring the- Bring it back in. Yeah, bring it back to you. Mm. And and what's yep. the buzzwords you always say is like engagement and yep. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But if you've got an overly dependent dog that's offering you focus all the time, reinforcing that is a disaster. Well, sometimes you can't get it to engage anything else because it, it's so fixated on you. Exactly. Mm. And so from the jump, if you identify that you've got- you know, a breed or a bloodline or just an individual dog that is prone to that, a lot of outwardly, outward focused training where the reinforcer is away from you. Mm. And, you know, training where it isn't necessarily obvious to the dog that you are even in control of these reinforcers. You know, you want a dog at that point to be much more operant and think that it's in control of its environment. Like introducing the manners minder and so totally. forth. Yeah. Even things like regularly when people come to me with little puppies that are way too inwardly focused and sort of can't handle life without them, I get them to lay a track, like a footstep track. Yep. And even if they don't want a track, right? Like even if they're not, the dog's not going to be a tracking dog, just lay a 30 meter track and let the dog find it, right? Yep. And like it's got food, you know, plenty of food in each footstep and let the little puppy just track itself away, you know, like follow the tracks. It's not learning to track, but what it is to do is following food, getting away from you. Mm. And then it realizes like, oh, I've gone 30 meters from you and the world didn't collapse. And it's okay, yeah. Everything's fine. And you just sit there. You don't do anything. You don't go with the dog. You don't have it on leash. You just, if you can find a place where you can do that and this little puppy learns to get 30 meters from you, have a positive experience doing it and then just come back. And mm. when he comes back, you go like, hey, good for you, but you don't give him any food or anything. There's nothing. It's just like, hey, you're back. Well done. And just that alone, if you do that a few times with a very young dog, that especially if you're thinking that the dog's a little bit dependent on you, just that can radically change the way that a dog will then interact with its environment in the future. Mm. That's my thoughts. While you've been talking on that, I've been also thinking about a little something that happened to me while I was away on holidays last week. Oh, yeah. It was my niece's wedding. Beautiful ceremony. It was very bespoke, exactly the way she wanted. Very small amount of family there. Beautiful location up in Ellie Beach. The weather was perfect. Everything was perfect. Yeah, I was watching your stories. It looked amazing. Oh, mate, it was unbelievable. I booked a room that my mum could stay in and we booked a really nice place, the Mirage, on the water. It was absolutely fantastic. Couldn't fault it. But the internet screwed up there on the first day. I went and spoke to reception and they said, we're upgrading you to the penthouse. Really? They gave me the penthouse suite. So I got the top suite in the place. What did you say to them? I said, thanks. Just because the internet wasn't working yeah, I in just, your room? I, well, I was trying to edit my podcast oh. and I was doing some other Don't stuff. Don't they know who you are? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I got a podcast to put out. <laughs> I just said, I really need the internet. And she said, we'll get the technician in. The technician came. Long story short, the wire was broken. Right. It was an inconvenience. And I mean, I paid for this room, you yeah. know, like it wasn't cheap. And they said, the penthouse is available, it's yours. And I said, the whole room, the whole floor? And they said, the whole floor. Wow. So two of my other nieces were staying in this really shitty place and I just said, let's move everyone in. You yeah, can all yeah. come in and stay. We'll all enjoy it together, have our family. And it's nice, but it's hard work at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My niece's little son, Archer, who's my great nephew, uh-huh. I never have really loved a child like I love him. Yeah, right. Him and I are best buddies. We just love each other. And I enjoy his company all the time. We have good talks. He's a little mischief, but he's so much fun. It's a beautiful thing that I've never experienced before because I like kids, but yeah, yeah, I'm not yeah. just not into them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never, never got written, bonded with I one. never bonded with one and I never got the parent bug. Neither has Norel. You know, neither of us have really got it, but I have with him. Yeah, right. And I've 
It's weird because I never imagined loving a child like that. And he's just fun. We have fun. But anyway, he needed to come down the aisle for his mum and dad's wedding and he was playing up a little bit. And I grabbed him and I said, mate, and I bribed him and I said, mate, if you behave yourself and you do this, I said, it's very important for mum and dad that you do this. They really want you to be a part of it. If you do this tomorrow, you and I will go down to the toy shop and I'll get you he wanted a Batman remote control car. And I mm-hmm. said, I'll get the car for you. And I said, but there are conditions with it and it comes with behavior. And I said, so you need to do this for mum and dad and you need to be well behaved for them over the next couple of days because it's very important to them. There's lots going on and they want you involved in photos and stuff. So I had a good conversation with him and he said, okay, but I'll get the toy. And I said, absolutely, if you do it, but it comes with conditions. Mm. I said, don't do it and don't come to me because you're not having it. Yeah. So he did it. He did it great. But the next morning, that day we were going to get it, everyone was spoiling him. They gave him ice creams for breakfast. He was eating a maxi bon at like 8 o'clock in the morning. and um, So he started to get sugar-loaded and he, yeah. and he started to get troppo and he really, like he kicked his sister and then, you know, like his other little cousin was there and he knocked him over and he was just getting over the top. He knew I had the toy because I went and got it and uh, he knew I had it and he goes, give me that toy. And he really started raging over it and I said, no, mate, you're not getting it. And he went ape shit. My other niece's partners were there and my other niece's husband was there and he was hitting them and he won't hit me. He yeah. never does. But with everyone else, he gets out of control. He just never gives me cheek. He's got a lot of respect for me. But he was hounding his mum and he's going, mum, 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 make him give it to me. My mum's going, give it to him, give it to him. Can't you see what's going on? I said, stop. You're all pandering to a four-year-old yeah. and it's not going to happen. My niece was getting very overwhelmed and her anxiety kicked in and she got very upset and she said, look, I have to take him back. She was crying. She was very upset. My mum goes, look, see what happened? I said, mum, just cut it out. All of you need to stop. You're treating this four-year-old in the completely the wrong direction. And I felt like an ass. You know, I felt like that's my niece's wedding day, but I had to carry it through. So anyway, later that night, we all went out to tea and my niece wasn't going to come because she was very overwhelmed with the whole thing. But then she changed her mind and he came. And he was totally different. He mm. was all nice and sublime and relaxed and calm. And he saw me and he came over and he sat on my lap and he said, I'm sorry, Uncle Glenn. I'm, I'm, I know I was behaving really bad before. And I said, you were terrible before, my boy. And I said, I love you all the time. And I said, but I don't like when you do that. I said, it's not who I know you are and who you can be. And he goes, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. And I said, I know you are. He said, can I still have the toy? And I said, if this night goes nicely yes when we go back to the hotel room if if you behave yourself and I said you only get things for good behavior from me that's it there's no ifs buts and maybes and for a four-year-old we have some pretty intense conversations so anyway we went back and I gave it to him and he was having a great time and behaved himself impeccably and I grabbed my niece and I gave her a hug and I said Dal I'm really sorry I hope I didn't ruin your day I said I love you to death you you mean a lot to me I just hope that I didn't ruin that day and she said Uncle Glenn, you're the only one who controls him properly. She said everybody gives him what he wants. They all pander to his behaviour and she said that's the reason he behaves like that. Mm. She said the only reason he doesn't behave like that with you is he knows he can't twist you around his finger. Mm. And I said, well, that means a lot to me. I said I was really sweating about this. I really took it hard that I'd ruined a day on your wedding week and I didn't want to do that. And she said, no, that was the best thing. She goes, yes, he was driving me crazy. And she said, but what you did was – the best thing for him at the time. And the rest of the trip, he was great. We were playing. He, When we all went to leave, he wrapped, came up, threw his arms around me and he goes, oh, I miss you, I love you. And, I mean, it makes me nearly tear up every time I think about it because mm. he's such a good little kid. Yeah. But I really needed everyone to see don't just give him what he wants all the time. Don't give in to him and just don't give him things when he's behaving that way because everyone's going, give it to him, get the toy, get the toy. Can't you see what it's doing to Ash? And I thought, no, I've got to double down on this. I have to see this through. It has to be done. And the reason I wanted to bring this up is because I deal with this and you deal with this and listeners deal with this when we're going around to people's houses with dogs. Mm. You become indoctrinated with this belief that you have to change your life so radically. And what made me think about that before is when you were talking about those death by a thousand cuts, Mm. you know, when people start falling into this belief that just because some mouse hearted person on the internet is saying that you can't be operant with your dog anymore and you can't do these things. Even that talk you and I had last week about punishment, 
I had some really good discussions with people and I had some flame about it. Mm. And it's because people are not in a comfortable state where they're ready to talk about punishment. Mm. But punishment has to be, and so does reinforcement, punishment and reinforcement have to be a cycle where an entity knows how to behave around you. Mm. Like what are the boundaries of what my behavior can manifest into? And without that, you are literally throwing caution to the wind. Archer, my nephew, the reason that he doesn't behave like that around me is because he is fully aware of what he can and can't do around me. Whereas with other people, you start to see this wild behavior come out in him because that's what they have allowed mm. through a lack of punishment with him. And yeah. it's not its not all about punishment. It's also about reinforcing. You've said it a while ago. I loved it. I think it's really something salient that people really need to take in is that most of the problems we see have come through positive reinforcement and it's positive reinforcement of terrible behaviour yeah. without well, any... Every, every single bad behaviour or problem behaviour you've ever experienced in a dog was caused by reinforcement. Yeah. With this, I didn't have to do any positive punishment with him. I didn't have to smack him or scold him or anything like that. It's not my place, not my right to do. Mm. But I gave him some pretty hardcore negative punishment, mm. something he, he wanted, something that was iconic to him that, that, that he had all his focus and attention on. I withheld it from him and I said, I literally told him, I said, I'll throw it in the bin. Yeah. You know, at one point when we talked about it, I said, if you keep escalating like this, I'll throw it in the bin. There's no way you're having it while you're doing all of this. No way. I have two things to say on that. The first is that I have two kids. Yeah. And I have relationships with other people's kids, like mm. my friend's kids and client kids and blah, blah, blah. And I agree with you entirely in that I have children in my life that behave completely different around me. And it's because of all the exact same reasons that you said. But also being a parent, it's tricky to maintain that all the time. Sometimes, you know, like this is one of the issues and it's exactly the same in dogs. That's why it's relevant to talk about is that sometimes despite what's happening with the kid and their behavior, something has to be done mm. and what has to be done might be reinforcing to them. No matter what the meltdown is happening, if they like going to the place that you're going to and you have to go there, then you're reinforcing it. Yep. You know what I mean? So like, it's tricky. It's very tricky in that regard. Like- I catch myself doing it quite a bit is where you do sort of end up pandering a little bit because you're like, I have shit to do, especially when the meltdown comes and you just, it's easier to put Bluey on than to deal with the meltdown because like I've got a client on the phone. Yes. Right? I totally get that you know mate. I mean? and to reinforce what you're saying, I have that on a very extreme part-time basis. Yeah. And that's what I mean. Yeah. And so for sure, like I have that exact same thing with like my neighbor's kids, they could be playing up and all I have to do is like give them the look of disappointment and they yep. stop immediately because, yes. but it's because their interactions with me are so they're intense, intense, right? Yeah. Because like there's always outcomes to what we're doing and I only see my friend's kids for, you know, an hour at a yeah. time. And so it's, you, it's fleeting. Yeah. Mm. Whereas like as like with their parents, it's more diluted in that they're with them sort of all time. And familiarity breeds contempt as well. For sure. Mm. There's that. But here's the thing that I have found difficult in kids and this relates 100% to dog training. It's why, again, why I'm willing to touch on it. Mm. Because we're not the kid training podcast. <laughs> no, but it's behavior, right? Yeah. And as we've analyzed and discussed before, all of the behavior that we've been gifted to be better dog trainers was for our children. Exactly. And it was for our workplaces and exactly. it was for our societies. The trap that I sometimes fall into with kids and never with dogs is reinforcement schedules and punishment schedules because you can promise and threaten kids. Yep. You can't do that with dogs. Yep. So the problem that I have found many times with my own kids, especially with like Rip, my older son, who's about to turn eight, right? Like you try and control behavior positively as much as possible, right? I want to reinforce the things that I want to see more of. And that's with dogs, it's super easy because the dog is doing it. I can reinforce and I can create a situation where the dog will do it so that I can reinforce and I can make it more likely to happen. And that's training. And if something goes wrong, something unforeseen, or there's something that I can't create a situation where I can't manage through it, then I can punish in that moment, right? And I've got many options for punishment. And we can be far more cutthroat with our dogs than over our children. Yes, for sure. Mm. But what I catch myself doing quite a bit is saying, if you do this, then this will happen. 
And what I've noticed on the reinforcement side is I sometimes set the schedule at not frequent enough. Take, for example, like Rip wanted this Lego, this Bowser. It's like 400 bucks, right? Wow. For this, but it's huge yeah. and he's really good at Lego. So like it's it's one of those like 18 plus Legos. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like it took a – like it takes many, many hours to do. So clearly he's watching Lego Masters. Oh, we're fully obsessed with Lego <laughs> Masters, right? So like, okay, no worries. And I say to him, okay, like a week of perfect behavior. Because it's 400 bucks, yeah, right? Yeah, like that's a shocking sure. lot of money. Yeah. Like if you give me a week of – you don't even roll your eyes. You're perfect to your brother. Everything's on time, blah, blah. Because I'm thinking this is a giant fucking jackpot, right? Mm. But he can't do that. He can't do a fucking seven days of perfect behavior. He's a kid. He's eight years old. Of course, like he's derailed. But because I know that's a giant expense, right? And then I set, well, like the criteria that are as required of that is huge. It just can't work. I caught myself doing that multiple times. But the way that I have controlled his behavior, and to be clear, like, yes, I'm a person that is obsessed with controlling behavior, but with my own kids, all I want is that they're happy, healthy, and safe, right? Like that's what I'm trying to create is a person who will have a happy, healthy life. The easiest thing are low value reinforcers because like Pokemon cards, right? A single Pokemon card. That was one of the things that I found the most useful in helping promote positive behaviors because there were like a pack of Pokemon cards was like seven bucks. And I think you get like 10 cards or something in them. Right. So I actually carried them like on me the same way I carry (laughs) a treat pouch. Yeah. So you could incrementally reinforce. And the moment, and without saying, if you do this, then you will get this. I could actually just pay attention to behavior and be like, oh, here you go. Right? Like, oh, that was really good. You read a book to your brother. Here you go. Here's a Pokemon card. Oh, I like the way that when I said go put your shoes on, you just went straight away and put your shoes on without it being a problem. Here's a Pokemon card. Right? Like just normal reinforcement schedules. But I think that's where we go wrong often is, again, like it's not the parents podcast, but is from having too big a schedules. And then you can say to kids as well, like, you know, often we say to kids, if you don't stop behaving, then I will take away the Bowser toy, right? What you're talking about is meters when you should have been in millimeters. Exactly. But then also with kids, like you use these threats and that causes resentment and all kinds of stuff, right? Whereas just manipulation, but just doing it. So like, that's one of the things, because with dogs, you can't say to them, if you do that again, I'll do the punishment thing. But with kids, you can. Mm. And I think this is one of the reasons why people don't like punishment is because the threat of punishment is often much worse than punishment. Yeah, of course it is. And so it's a really gross thing when you say to someone, if you do that again, then I will do this to you. Now, whether that's positive punishment, negative punishment, however the punishment goes down, that is gross because Mm. then there's this feeling of leveraging, right? And you are in that moment, you're blackmailing, right? Like you are doing – because bribery and blackmail are the same thing. They just go in different directions. And so when you start doing that, that's where these gross feelings come from. And I think a lot of the people in our industry that are so anti-punishment – are so because that was done to them. A lot of emotional leveraging in that way rather than just like at the time going like, no, because of this, this is happening right now. Rather than people saying, if you do that again, this will happen. As a dog trainer, I never do that because the dog can't understand what I'm saying. Mm. I just give the appropriate input that will get the appropriate output. That's what I do. But I catch myself many times with my own kids saying like, do this and I will do this. And now whether that's on the positive or negative side, I've done it on both, but I know that that doesn't really work and it makes me feel uncomfortable. And I know that it certainly most likely makes the kids feel uncomfortable. Mm. We strayed a bit from bull breeds. (laughs) (laughs) But very good discussion on relevant behaviors. Yeah. But I think exactly that relates. Like I caught myself when I'm trying to get him to be perfect for a week. Eight year old can't be perfect for a week and to earn a, a Lego toy. I was like, you know what? I'm better off just, which is exactly what I did. I bought that Lego toy because I yep. want to make that fucking Bowser. I, like I wanted it as much as he did. And then one day he just did something out of the blue that was like great. I don't even remember what it was, but it was something where I was just like, hey, man, that was incredible. Good for you. Here's that Bowser. Yep. Right. And you know what? He doesn't listen to the show. I bought a bunch of other cool Lego shit as well that's still <laughs> that's still, <laughs> that's still sitting on the shelf yep. ready for the next occasion where I can jackpot and go like because of this behavior and it doesn't even necessarily need to be extraordinarily big thing for me to give the big jackpot. That's how it works, right? Like that's the system is that you're then trying to create like, well, I'll continue to do the right thing in order that maybe it's the jackpot and we're at a variable schedule. A friend of mine actually who is a trainer, funnily enough, he raised his kids under a very similar pretense. Well, same, same but different. And what he did, which he found very successful, was when the kids were asking for bulk items the intention was to get the bulk items. What he would say is, yes, but the conditions are 
that I need behavior for you to get the net gain of all of them at the end. Mm. And if you don't, things will start disappearing from it. Mm. So what he would do is randomly reinforce. And he was very good at the unexpected gift at an unexpected time. Same thing you were talking about, the Pokemon cards. And I really, I learned a lot about that in training and in just in improving relationships with people, especially that thing. Guys, for your wives and girlfriends like that, unexpected gift at unexpected time, <laughs> it works a treat. Yeah. Because- hey, It goes the other way as well. It does. I like unexpected so gifts at I. unexpected times. But I usually buy them for myself. <laughs> <laughs> we should start just buying each other gifts. We do though. We do a little bit. We do. We, we do, do buy little, little presents We should for do it more often. We should. We should. You should have a portion of your money sent to my bank account and I should do the same. <laughs> and, and then it'll just, we could like, we could be ridiculous, buy each other really nice things. That but it- it would just be our own money. That would be nice. It would be wonderful. That whole concept, I kind of enjoyed what he did because with the kids, same sort of thing. Like when their behavior was exemplary and they weren't expecting a gift, he would gift them. Mm. You know, he'd say, well done, guys. That's awesome. Here's a gift. But if they got to the end and their behavior was pretty good all the way, they knew I'm getting all of that. Like mm. they had goals to work for. He said it changed their relationship for all the better. Like they would check in with him. They'd talk to him. He said, my conversations with my children were much better like he said, they were more focused on me and my wife rather than just disregarding us and us being the uncool parents and so forth. They would come up and talk to us and show us what was happening at school without us having to ask all the time because they knew that something was in it. But he said it it just created this backwards and forwards that we'd never expected. It really enhanced the family unit. Mm. And he said it was remarkable. And he said, I'm used to manipulating and modifying things in the dog training realm. And he goes, but I didn't realise how effective it could be with my children when mm. they same thing with you. He's a good dad. He's very giving to his children. He believes in giving them the best head start. Like he really sacrifices a lot to make his children's life very fulfilled. Mm. And they're good kids. Like they're adults now, but they they were good kids. You know, they grew up really respectful. And that's one thing he wanted them to learn. He wanted them to learn old world respect for people as well. Please and thank yous, talking to people, looking them in the eyes, shaking their hands, both the girl and the boy you know, shaking people's hands, firm handshakes and mm. looking at them and asking people about themselves. How was your day? How are you? Not about me, 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 but creating this real community with these kids. Fuck, they were good kids. Mm. They were really good kids. And like I said, they're lovely adults now. I think they listen to this show, so I'm not going to name their names, but lovely people. I always complimented him all the time. I said, mate, out of all of the people whose kids I go around, I said, yours are by far the best. Yeah. Yeah. I think – um the last thing I'll sort of say on this is with punishment and kids especially, it's one of the reasons why I am so cautious with negative punishment with dogs as well. I think that negative punishment with kids is very dangerous, especially- Well, you used that iPad example yeah. last week when you connected it to love. Yeah, and well, and because right. that's exactly what happens, mate. Mm. And so like if, if and when, it's the same as with my dogs. Like for me, I'll use negative punishment for sure, but- sparingly yep. because it's truly it's so effective when done correctly and i think that yeah that punishment has to match the crime mm. right and i think that the cancel culture that we live within i feel very strongly was created by a generation of kids that had their ipad taken off them and instead of some sort of positive punishment and the thing is positive punishment can take many forms right so like extra chores is positive punishment right and and so you're going to help me clean these kennels because that's my job i have to clean the fucking kennels at home i have to do all the jobs of the house that need to be done i have to vacuum all that shit me and jane do all that but forms of punishment are better in that way i think here's a task you're not going to enjoy mm. right rather than i'm going to take because the bowser if i were to take that when i gave that to him that is not a piece of Lego. That is a physical representation of how much I love him. Yeah. And it happened at a time for a, a behavior that I liked to take that. I'm not taking a piece of Lego. I'm taking my love and yep. that I'm unprepared to do yeah, yeah. for something that is just a behavioral, you know, like it's, uh, well, you for can anything, find it somewhere else for anything. Yeah. Like my kids have to know that my love is unconditional, that there yeah. are no conditions to me loving them. Like I'm going to manipulate their behavior because I need them to be good people. I need to raise them in a way where they can go out into the world and, and live and a great good life. Men. Yeah. Yeah. But there's no conditions on my love for them. Mm. And so I just feel like that's too close, you know, when it's to, when everything I've ever given, because everything he owns, I gave him. He ain't yep. got no money. Right? <laughs> so literally everything in his room, I gave to him to take something like a physical thing to physically take it away. Now, not, not to give it is a different thing. Like what you, like what we're talking about with the, 
the yeah, I wouldn't take it off him once I gave it to him. Yeah. Once I once it's past that threshold, it's his. Yeah. You're right, a hundred percent. It's his to do with what he's want. Like I gave him an, another truck at the last time I went around to my other niece's wedding, the last time I was in Melbourne. He literally ran the wheels off that thing and, you know, smashed yeah, yeah. it into walls and stuff like that. Somebody said to me, Oh, you just gave it to him and he's already broken a piece off. I said, It's, it's his. his. You know, it's that's gonna, what being a kid is. That's Kids right. smash stuff. I said he's a little boy and he's like I would do the same. You know, yeah. I would enjoy it so much I'd break pieces off it. Yeah. That's that's what it I is. think that's important too, you know, like when you give someone, anyone, when you give them something, it's, it's fucking theirs. theirs. They theirs. can do what the fuck they want with it. Yeah. Someone gave him an ice cream and he ate half of it and threw the rest away. And someone said, what a waste. And I said, once it's either given to them or not, whatever happens with that ice cream bar, whether it's thrown on the floor or whether it's eaten, like it's still disappearing. Yeah. It's going somewhere. So to you it's an issue, but to me I just think, oh, well, it's not mine anymore. You know, like if it was mine and I was sharing it with someone and then they wasted it, I'd be more upset about that. But if I'd given it wholeheartedly to you, it's yours to do with as you wish. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> we went right off the rails Raising there. and training bull breeds. Yeah. <laughs> That's the question. Do you know what? The only thing that actually did come to mind when I saw that was like I personally have never owned a bully. Like that's been my dog. I've been a part of the raising of many and and especially the one that I'm ha- like training a fair bit at the moment, Kai. I haven't trained him in like six weeks, but I, I need to get back to it now that I have the premises to do it in. But one thing that I think is important with bull breeds, especially if you you know intend to do cool stuff with them, yep. is from a young age I start teaching and out as a switching game. Yeah, And so that's probably my best advice mm. because that dog, even though – he had not a lot of drive young and was never on the cards that I was going to try and do cool things with him when he was very young. I still convinced my sister, whose dog it is, that he needs to learn switching games very young, mm. right? So like right from the jump, it's like, here's something from this hand, here's something from this hand. And and like, I'm going to use the word out and I'm going to take one thing off you, but it's only to give you something else. If it works with that dog. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be assessed at the capability of the dog. And I think that's one of the things that we've always got to have as the agreement at the start, like whatever you assess with that dog, that's the realm that you have to work with Yeah. And if the dog has that potential, by all means, absolutely. I think that's important. Yeah. And I think that's a really good established onset behavior that you can start off things with. But there's just dogs that just don't play that game. Yeah. And they are a lot of bull breeds who just don't play it that way. Yeah. Which is frustrating because people want them to be like that and they're not. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But that's why if you get the chance young. Do, do it. it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's move down the list slightly. We could probably do one more before we have to finish. Mm. Ben Lepensky. Ben, love that you're commenting. The future of dog training as a profession, your optimistic projection and your doomsday worst case scenario predictions. Worst case scenario predictions. What's your optimistic? How's it going to go, Glenn? It's hard to be optimistic at this current No, climate. be optimistic. Okay. You can be doomsday in a second. Let's add to Ben. Let's go totally optimistic, then go realistic then go doomsday. So totally optimistic would be that balance training took over the world Mm -hmm. and it was very heavily educational based. Like I would love, I love, love, love to see that people actually had to do some form of accreditation, like proper accreditation. That would make me happy to know that in order to be involved in, in the ownership and management and the responsibilities of owning a dog, that the balance community was governing it and the government wasn't involved in it in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. We had an agreement or a collaboration of great minds that were all collaborating well together. They had designed a universal program that everybody saw fit and thought this is the best way to raise dogs. And it was very science-based. All the communities all come together and everyone goes around the world, Europe, America's, Oceanic, Asian, Pacific, we all got together and said that is the optimal way to train a dog. Mm-hmm. You know, we all agree there's, of course, there's variations and there's breeds that we have to be mindful of in the small tweaks that we have to do, but we love this program. We love the inclusion of it. We love the collaboration. We don't have to fight with each other. We don't have to bicker the end. Some sort of really high-quality balanced certification. Absolutely. And a complete worldwide collaboration that we all agreed with each other instead of playing this ridiculous tribalistic games all the time. I like it. Yep. I'm going to jump on board with that. I think that's a good idea. I am very terrified of any sort of 
requirements or accreditations that are necessary or that kind of stuff because I just think that the chances of any government body getting that right yeah, but you're, you're taking away from my euphoric no no that's Nirvana what I'm saying I'm just I'm I'm, I'm <laughs> prefacing yeah but saying you're going this, into doomsday in now. this nirvana where it works out perfectly I'm yep. 100% on board I yeah. think that that would be a great idea and I think that like formalized schooling for you know, at different levels for dog ownership yep. is like a half day course you yeah. know what I mean like no big deal it doesn't have to be anything intensive or intrusive and no. that's not what I want what I don't want is invasiveness mm. that's what I don't want I don't want people people to have to feel like they've got to be micromanaged and watched all the time. Yeah. I'd like people to be at least have a high level offering yep. where they've all got access to very good information yeah, very perfect. early on. Perfect. Yeah. And then layers to that where you can become a bit of a hobbyist yeah. uh, up to full blown professional. Absolutely. As good as Ben dog trainer. Yep. You could plug in and you could say, okay, I want to do this with my dog. And then you go online, you do a, a bit of an online course and then it spits out and says, okay, well, this trainer is in your area. Yep. They are very efficient in this. The World Congress of Dog Minds has come together and this person spits out in your area. Or there's a selection criteria of three or four people close by to you that we would recommend you going to. That way you, then you could try before you buy with one person and say, uh, not quite a good fit. Go to another person. Yep. Ideal. I love the ideology. I love the way they explain it. I'm going to work with this person. Perfect. You know, that would be my ideal scenario. All right. Do you want to do the doomsday or do you want to do realistic? Let's go realistic. Okay. What do you think? Realistic is we're going to continually fight and the rope is going to slip further out of our hands. Mm -hmm. I can already see it happening. Mm -hmm. I've got to see the evolution, the Darwinistic approach to evolution where all of the things that people were telling me along the way, starting with Joy Bells, who I bought one of my roddies off, she was one of the first people to stop cutting tails off dogs. Mm -hmm. She said to me, it's going to happen. And everybody told me on the other side, it's not going to happen. Don't listen to her. She's crazy. And she was far from it. She was actually very futuristic and a- um, Accurate. A very she predicted ac it all. Yeah, she was a good predictionist and very accurate. She said, Glenn, it's going to happen. She said, whether these people are living in denial or not, I'm telling you, it's going to happen. Yep. It's happening in Europe. It's going to happen in Australia. It's only a matter of time. She was probably three years away in her prediction before mm. it happened. So there's a lot of things that people have told me along the way that others have contradicted and said, no, it's not going to happen. Don't pay any credence to it. Don't pay any attention to it. Don't get on board with that. And what I will say is that there are lots of people who are negative and have become negative. I don't think it's those people that you should give too much credibility to. But when you do have somebody who isn't speaking from a negative mindset, more so a realistic mindset. Like at work, a lot of times I say to people, fuck optimism and the pessimism. I'm more into realism. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm not into bouncing off the walls and saying anything's possible. We can do anything. That doesn't work for me. I don't want to walk around saying, oh, woe is me. The world is nigh. Everything's going to end. I like realism. I like working with realistic people. I like being around honest people. Mm -hmm. I can't fucking stand it any other way. Mm -hmm. For me, I just need to know, tell me the facts. I'm that type of person. Mm -hmm. And you're very much that type of person. You're a realist. You just tell it how it is, no matter whether- How I, I see it. Well, you, yeah. <laughs> that's well, not necessarily how that's it true. is. Yeah, that's a good point. You tell me how you see it, but you've told me things that I haven't liked being told at the time, but I needed to hear it. Mm. And I appreciate that you did that because that means more to me than you can imagine. I like it when I'm in the company of people like that because then I know I'm with a true friend. I know I'm with somebody who cares enough to tell you the truth, no matter how ugly it needs to be sometimes, because you can reshape who you are. Without that guidance and without that care, you can go into some dangerous territory sometimes because mm. you can reinforce yourself into thinking along like a fictitious path. You know, when we're getting into this realism world that we're talking about now, we're in some dangerous territory at the mm. time. When the Palaszczuk government decided that they were going to ban prong collars, I knew it was all over then mm. because it got to a very high ministerial level. Now, I didn't want to say that online. I didn't want to say at the time when Kirsty and Brittany were working so hard. I didn't want to say, don't do it, it's all for nothing. I wanted to say to them, I'll support you. And you and I were very much like that. And a big community got behind that where we were all saying, yeah, let's do everything we can. 
the government are such scumbags that when they decide to get into this, it's not about what's right. It's about what's popular. Yeah. And that's where the thread of a lot of what we're doing is at threat. We're dealing with people who really don't give a fuck about the truth Mm. or the right or the reality. They care more about what is popular. Mm. And again, I know I harp on about it a bit and I sound a bit like a broken record, but that's why it does worry me what I see on social media sometimes because it's not about what's right. Influence are some of the stupidest people sometimes that you could ever meet. Like they're the most vapid, vacuous people that you could ever have a conversation with. But for some reason they've hypnotised people to believe what they're saying. Okay. And so many people will just jump on board. It's not all of them. Mm. Some are very good and some... Uh, like I said, they're very good people with good ethics and very good at what they do. But so the industry, where do you see it heading realistically? Are you trying to get me back on track? Yeah. (laughs) The industry where I see it heading, we're going to lose ground in the balanced training fraternity over time. I think I'll see it in my time where there'll be law that will stop you from using balanced training methods. Yeah. Before I see myself out in this life, I'll see it turn. Yeah, I unfortunately agree with that. I also see in my lifetime before I go that Malinois will be on the restricted dog breeding list at at some stage. Yeah, that's possible too. They'll be the next pit bull. The thing is, is good people have got them currently, but they're going to blow out into the public like other breeds do. And the wrong people will get these strong, powerful dogs and they will have the same issue that the pit bulls have, that Rottweilers have, the German Shepherds have. They're going to make the top five despised dog in some time in my life. Yeah, I agree with that, unfortunately. It's sad. It kills me. I hate saying that. Yeah. I think realistic prediction for the future of the industry, I think, is we will continue to veer away from balanced training and towards, you know, whatever it is. But I think the pendulum will swing back, just not sure when. Like that will happen because- It has to happen because at some stage, you know, when we get through these- the minds of reasonable people, and it goes into that hard men make good times, good times make weak men, weak men make tough times, et cetera, et cetera. It'll get to a stage where it'll cycle into that stage where people are going, fucking hell, look how many dogs we're killing at the moment. Yeah. You know, like look at the wastage. But um, I always think like it's just very, it's a very Western thing because people just haven't been around the world and seen the way that dogs are treated around the world. Mm. And so like, yes, for us, we're definitely headed on a path towards madness and training of dogs being, you know, if it's not force free, then it's not training. Like, I think that that is reductionist because that's sort of in the countries that are even able to enforce that. When I was in Afghanistan in like, I think this was in 2005, got called to a suicide bombing that was done at a police station at a dog fight. So this wow. <laughs> the suicide so the, the dog fight, an organized actual hundreds of people there to bet and watch it all go down, was done in the police station. Mm. So like that's so far away from being a problem in Afghanistan. The problem was that a guy was like, oh, this is a great opportunity to blow myself up in, in this crowd. Yep. Luckily for everybody there, he was a dummy that instead of standing on the other side of the razor wire and like using his shape charge to blast everyone through, this dummy tried to jump through the razor wire, got himself stuck and then detonated himself while he was stuck in the fence and blew a giant crater in the ground. He still killed 26 people or something, but oh, not wow. hundreds like he would yeah, have if yeah, he had absolutely. stood on the other side of it. Yeah. But my point is- that's at a dogfight that was at the police station, yep. right? Like a very organized event. So when people are like, oh, my God, you're the devil using prong collars, it's like put into fucking perspective the reality of the world here, right? It will swing back, but many things will continue to go that way before that pendulum swing, oh, yeah. right? And I think my sort of concern, or not concern, but I think that a lot of people in the industry, people who have a voice, you know, and it's their job to do it, like us, right, who call themselves plus R or whatever are now even the ones that don't secretly use tools. So I think what's interesting is many of the ones that do secretly use tools, they're starting to feel the heat because, you know, it's becoming more and more obvious. People start to like the e-collar neck twitch is one of the most, the more interesting things that I see at the Mm. moment. Right. So there's several people who call themselves force free trainers, compete in sports or whatever, who you and I have discussed. We know for sure they use an e-collar when the cameras aren't rolling because there's tells. There's certain things that an e-collar used, not great. And sometimes when they get a little bit comfortable with a certain group, they let it slip. Exactly. Yeah. But also you can tell by looking at the dog, there are certain signs that you can see. Now they're not necessarily, bad things, but there's certain reactions that a dog has 
Or like when you see people who continue to claim that they only use positive reinforcement when their dog shows an aversion to something. Yep. It's like that doesn't happen without there being an aversion. Yeah, <laughs> You can't do that. Yep. You can differentially reinforce all that you like. Mm. You'll create draw to the other thing, but you won't create an aversion to the thing. Yep. You know? There's only one way to create an aversion and that's with aversives, yep. right? Which is fine. But only it's only a problem when you deny it. Right? That's right. It's the inconsistency and the and the lies around yeah. it. Yeah. So I watch that stuff. I'm interested in that. I, you know, it's not my plan to out those people. They'll eventually have to do it themselves. But what I have noticed, especially in those people who have big online followings, is big, they're beginning to not even be able to keep their online followings happy anymore, right? Like mm. they're not positive enough. I know. We've said that before. Yeah. That point alone, that sits very heavy with me when when you've said that. Yeah. Because they are very cannibalistic of their own culture. Yeah. The other thing that you get as well is like you get people – I'll say her name out loud because I'm enamored by her training. I think that she's wonderful. Sarah Bruce. Sarah Bruce. I have that's <laughs> so predictable. I have nothing bad to say about her. And I've trained with her. I truly believe she trains the way that she says that she does, right? Like, and so when I'm saying that those force free people that are successful with their dogs and secretly use those tools know that I'm absolutely not talking about Sarah Bruski. I think that she's wonderful. Have you seen her training her raven around her dogs? It's amazing. Oh, I love it. She's amazing. I love it. I have nothing bad to say about it. That's one thing. You know how I feel about those offshoot things. I love peculiar people doing peculiar things with peculiar dogs. Yeah. A lot of these people I just – I watch five minutes of their videos and I go – but when I see those sort of things, like that piques my interest. she's incredible. I love that shit. She's incredible. But the problem is she is incredible. She right? is. Yeah. And so And she's a nice person. She's a good person. She's everything's there. Yeah. But yeah. but her skill set is unmatched. Yeah. The average person can't train a dog the way that she can train. Right. And so that's my big concern for where it all goes, is that like the tools get taken and the, the training is only allowed to be purely positive. Yeah. And to pull that off, first of all, you need the right kind of dog, right? And you need the right kind of preparation with that dog from the jump, right? Yes, you do. It's like, a perfect world scenario yeah. many times. When the average Jono gets a dog that is a giant headache, he's not going to be able to fix that yep. using just purely positive techniques. Like that's not going to happen. Yeah. And I think that's what we're going to see is that like we're going to see the realistic case is over the next, you know, I don't know how many years, but we'll see less and less availability to balance training techniques. And we'll see more and more people who are just advocating that dogs get to be assholes. Like mm. that's just how they are. Like your dog should be a nervous wreck, right? Yep. Like you should be a totally fucked up, can't take it out anywhere, nervous wreck. Like that's what a dog is. So that's why you're complaining that that's what you have, right? Like that's what I think is going to become the norm mm. until people just go, no, I'm not having this. And the pendulum will swing back. But I don't know when that is. Mm. What's your doomsday? Doomsday is that dogs and domestic animals are taken off us altogether when some of these mad extremists get their way and they just completely remove access to being able to even have a relationship with a companion animal. Yeah, I agree. So let's not harp on that because we'll just depress ourselves. No, that's, that's a terrible thing. But that's thought. the doomsday. That, yeah. That's for sure it is yeah. that. And I think that the path to that is that dogs get so hard to manage that then they're like, we should probably shouldn't have these. Yep. And so like we're on that trajectory, but that's not going to happen because we've had dogs for 10,000 years. It won't happen in my lifetime. That's a selfish thing that I'm going to say yeah. that I know some hard times are ahead. What am I, 50 something now? I've probably got about 30 maybe years something left in my life. That's a hard pill to swallow on itself, you know, having 30, maybe 40 years of, of life left. Um, but in in the next generation, things are going to get hard. Yeah. I don't know because I think that that doomsday scenario of like no more companion animals, people will stand up to that. I like hope, I'm not doing that. I hope so. I really hope so. I really hope people get their shit together because this is one area where I don't see people getting their shit together. Like we can't even really get a good balanced group of people together. We've got the ICP, which is just chugging along. But it should be much bigger than what it is. Yeah, it and should that's be what, a that's million why people strong. It should be a million people plus. Even when I was on the board of directors, like you and I are ambassadors for the ICP, I can't tell people enough. Like there's always going to be conflicts in management. There's always going to be somebody that you don't agree with and that your thoughts and feelings sometimes, they just don't align with everybody. But that happens everywhere. It happens in job places. It happens in family, which, which yeah. we've all discovered at some point in time. In order for these threats not to become realities – we really need better representation by making sure that we've got a good collaboration of people together yeah. because it's only multiple voices that get listened to. The only way you stop these 
megalithic, maniacal people, or, you know, like government agencies, and you, the only way that you stop them is you become more popular than them yeah. or you become so popular that they can't ignore you anymore. But when you're a tiny – it's like these working dog clubs, right, to talk about cannibalistic events – they chew each other up from the inside out. And there's no wonder that no one takes them seriously because they're pockets of 20 people that just self-implode mm. on each other all the time. Mm. Again, I know I sound like a broken record and I don't want people to listen to this and think I'm just down on everybody. I love you as an industry. I love my industry. I've tried to nurture and protect it the best way that I possibly can. You and I have dedicated hundreds and hundreds of hours sitting here really not getting paid for this, to tell people that we adore you and we love you and we support you and we want you to grow and we want to nurture you. You're very important to us. And we want to do everything that we can to be a voice and to inspire hope in people. And sometimes when you listen to podcasts like this, you think, fuck, is that inspiring hope? Like it sounds very pessimistic. But again, fuck the pessimism and fuck the optimism. Let's talk about realism. Mm. If we want this to go in the direction that we need it to go in, you need to be part of a movement. And that movement means that sometimes you have to work with people that it's an uncomfortable manner to do. There's people in the industry, I really don't like them as a person, but I will work with them to get things done. And I have worked with them to get things done. Yeah. I've sat in rooms with people that I, I secretly despise and they despise me, but I will work with them and I will collaborate with them and I will thank them for their time. And I will appreciate when they have a good idea. I can put my personal feelings aside to say, that was a great idea. I really like that. It's better than the idea I had. I'm going with your idea. Even though they're a complete nutter. I can still. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And I but think you have to though, but you have to. Otherwise, it's all, it really is, it's all for nothing. Yeah. In order to avoid, you know, the realistic path that we laid out as a bit pessimistic, I think that we need to work together. And I think that as trainers, we just need to keep doing good work and showing people like, hey, this is how you really train a dog and achieving results. That's the main thing. It's because so long as people are achieving results, then it's being shown that this works. Yeah. Right? And so if you're as an individual trainer, all you can do is support the industry, join the organization, all of that, and continue doing a good job. Like yep. that as an individual, that's all you can do. People who have Microphones to talk into have to have these conversations like we have, but I think that for the people who are just working it out, keep working it out, keep fucking going hard. Yeah, we did it. We got through. It's, it's an in-person episode. There's, there's a million more comments here. We, this will keep us busy for ages. That's this good. is great. All right, that's it for another episode. Counter paradigm. Mm. As always, if you like what you hear, get on the fucking mailing list. Yeah, <laughs> that's the new I one. still haven't got a link. I sent it to you. Did you? Yeah, I okay. sent it to you, and it's in the group. I sent it to you many times. Well, there you go. Look, look how observant I am. Join the mailing list. You'll find it in the group. Search mailing list in the group. Yep. Get on there. You'll find it. Have we get sent out that. any mail yet? No, we haven't sent a single mail. Okay, we haven't. I haven't set anything up beyond yep. setting up the mailing list. Yep. Because we're not going to spam you. We just need to collect those emails in case Facebook goes away. Yeah. That's the main thing. Well, we thing. do want to send out a email, don't yeah. we? Like we do want to get something out. We and- do. Well, you know, like for example, the other week you announced the Michael Ellis seminar. And the Cameron Ford seminar. Yeah, but Michael Ellis sold out in minutes and 24 when it hours. publicly. What would have been cool is we could have used that mailing list first. Yes, that could be something we could do with that mailing list. Yes, is it things is. That we could information could come there a couple of hours before it goes anywhere else, Absolutely. or even a yep. full twenty four hours before yep. it goes somewhere we, else. We could have discount codes and all we sorts could. of shit. Yeah, we could do all that. We should. Mm. We will. Yeah, but we will. just got to get on it. So get on the mailing list. Give the show a, a review. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. Four stars, five stars even. Five stars. Five stars. What did I yeah. say for? Ten stars. Yeah. Hundred stars. Tell a friend. That's the real way to support the show is tell a friend. Yep. And then get in the Patreon mm. and get your friends in the Patreon. I'm super excited. It'll probably be out or done by the time this comes out. I don't know. But the next Patreon live stream is going to be done in my new shop. Fantastic. I'm, I'm super excited about that. That's pretty cool. Oh, man, I love it. Support the show with Patreon. Also, buy some cool merch. Yes. Get into spring. Yep. Buy some cool merch. Yep. There's plenty of stuff in there. No underpants, though. You no underpants, no underpants, water bottles. No water bottles. No. If you want to get in contact with us, best way to do that is jump into the Facebook discussion group or get on the mailing list. Yep. But if you have something to send us individually, shoot it to us individually, or you can shoot us an email. We are info at the canineparadigm.com. Goodbye. <laughs>